You're listening to the sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our Christmas study as we focus on Mary's story through a series we entitled, When God Was Born. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, and get ready to study God's Word together. Great to see you guys. Um, it's also great to be joined by all of our campuses all over the place. Before, actually, if I can speak to the Aurora campus really quickly, uh, John and Melissa Bell—that's the campus pastor there. This is their eight, sixth wedding anniversary. So if you see them, everybody give them a big hand. So, fantastic. Uh, yesterday was my 29th wedding anniversary. So thank you. Whew, made it. Um, You need a Bible. Uh, You need to turn it to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Uh, I'm going to show you a video here really quickly. Uh, Let me preface it by telling you that uh, every year with my children, as most of you have experienced as well, that you go to the, you go to the, the, the school Christmas concert. Uh, as the kids get older into high school and stuff, the concert gets, a, you know, the music gets better and these sorts of things. When they're quite young and they're first starting out, it is a, it is a bit of a challenge uh, to go. It's not, it's not, everybody's got to start playing music at some point, right? And so when they first start, when anybody starts anything, they're not great at it. You just want to see them participate and see them do the best you possibly can. But it occurs to me that lots of you have not experienced uh, a Christmas concert this year. So I, I came across this, this video and I just wanted to play it for you because it is terrible. Uh, anyway, enjoy Christmas 2022. applaud, praise God. Of course we do. We love that. We love that our kids. Anyway, there's a, so that has been posted on YouTube. It's gone kind of viral, and usually I would totally recommend never to read a YouTube comment ever for anything, but one of the most liked comments on this video was this. Uh, This performance was a masterpiece. The use of solo, use of the solo introduces the simple melody And it's played beautifully, purposefully using wrong notes to bring tension and unique rhythms to keep us on our feet. As a listener, we expect that tension to eventually resolve and be relieved. But no, the full band comes in and subverts expectations by bringing in complex harmonies. 
Fully using dissonance and highly advanced microtonal technique to contrast the simple and overheard jingle bells typically played. <laughs> oh, it's Christmas carol time, right? Um, some of you have had carolers at your doors, I think, uh, and tried to avoid them. Sometimes, you know, you're not always in the mood. Some of you have been those Christmas carolers. Uh, some of you start singing Christmas carols um, after Halloween, like a bunch of morons. <laughs> you gotta wait till after Thanksgiving. That's, that's when Jesus started singing, at, was after then. Christmas carols are wonderful. I'm listening to them in the car. I'm listening to, all the, I mean, it just gets you in the mood and stuff. This morning when I was driving here, I was listening to piano Christmas carols and just singing along, you know, where there's no actually lyric. Um, everybody's got their favorite Christmas carol. Um, what you might not know, though, is that in the Bible, there actually is a Christmas carol. Uh, two of them, in fact, in Luke's gospel, one is written by a guy named Zechariah, and another one, probably the most famous one, is a song that was written by Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know it as Mary's Magnificat, and that's because that's the, the Latin word that began uh, you know, if you read it in Latin, that's the first, magnificat, glor- you know, glorify uh, the name of the Lord. That's what she says at the beginning. But it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And what I want to do in the next few minutes is I actually want, I want to look at this hymn, but uh, I, I want to do that second. So I want to take kind of a broad view first, and I want to say, okay, what led to the writing of the song. You know, sometimes when you, you, you know a song, but then you know the background of it, you're like, oh, it becomes so much richer because you knew the life stage or the situation the person was in when they penned the music. Well, I want to look at what that was. Why did Mary write this particular song? And then second, I want to ask the question, all right, what's in it? What is it telling us? What's the song about? What does it say about God? Because it's about God. All right, so a broad view, what led to it, and then a narrow view, what's in it. There's something about Mary, and there's something about God. Here's the first of those. There's something about Mary and what led to this whole hymn uh, in the days of Herod. This is Luke chapter one, verse five. What I wanna do is I wanna actually start at the very beginning of Luke, because one of the things that you'll notice is there's this grand comparison that's going on between uh, Zechariah and Mary, you guys ever seen one of those commercials with like the, the, the you know, it's always black and white and some lady or some man is trying to mop the floor and it doesn't work and their mop's getting stuck and that, you know, they're sweating and there's always a scene where, part where the lady's hair is in her face and she goes at the end and it blows up and of course you're supposed to conclude from this that nobody wants to live in the black and white world with the really horrible mop, Right? And then there's the transition in, the, in it, bling, and color comes on. Oh, and instead of using the old mop with her hair down, she's beautiful and got makeup on and got her dress and she's dancing because she's got, you know, super mega mop and she's, she's doing all the stuff. Super mega mop basically mops by itself. You just kind of have to hold on. It drags you around. Super mega mop and... This is a juxtaposition is what we call it, right? The, the, the greatness of Super Mega Mop is being amplified by the black and white horrible mop that you never want to use. 
In literature, we say that the old mop is a foil for super mega mop. If you were just present super mega mop, people would be like, oh, that's really nice. But super mega mop compared to, you know, bad, horrible, negative mop, it's that much better. So this kind of comparison, it happens in, in uh, literature all the time, but especially in the scriptures and especially at the beginning of Luke, what you've got is two characters, Zechariah and you have Mary, and you're going to see, I'm gonna, we're going to read a whole bunch of scripture here, and you're going to see that the comparison that Luke's making between these two is trying to make a really big point. So let's deal with Zechariah first and just figure out, okay, what is it that, what's his story? Well, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He's a pretty, I mean, he's a religious leader. He's an important, he's an important guy in the sense that he is, uh, you know, leading Israel in some ways in the religious observances. He was of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. That's kind of a big deal. Aaron was, of course, the first Levite. So she's a Levite daughter. So both Levites were, uh, you know, the special religious section of, of, of uh, Israel. And so she is a daughter of a pastor. He's a pastor, right? Religious, honorable. And her name was Elizabeth, and, and they were both, listen to the way they're described, they're both righteous before God, they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Up to this point, you would be saying, wow, they must be really, really blessed, amazing individuals. I mean, people around them must have had, held them in high regard, and their life was really great because they served the Lord with such faithfulness. But they had no child. And in those days, you, the, the job you had as, as a wife and a, was to be a mother. That's, that's it. Uh, your job was to provide your husband with a baby, preferably a male baby to carry on the name, but a baby nonetheless. If you did not have a child, it was usually a sign that God had looked poorly upon you. It was a sign that you had done something to anger the Lord, right? Remember Job's friends, they come along and Job's like, I didn't do anything to get this happening to me. And Job's friends were like, yeah, but that's not how it works. The way it works is that if you do bad stuff, you get bad stuff. And because you're getting bad stuff, it means you did bad stuff. No, I didn't, says Job. Yes, you did. You gotta figure out what it is. Something underneath there. Well, that's the way people viewed, they were wrong. But that's the way people viewed it. If you obeyed the Lord and you were blameless and upright and all those things, the Lord would give you a good life. They don't have a good life. They have no child. Therefore, they must not be righteous and blameless. And that's the way the community would have seen them, kind of as out, outcasts. And the reason they had, she, she was barren, right? Both were advanced in years, which of course means that this is a situation that is probably not going to you know, find a positive conclusion. It's, this is a bad deal, and they, they don't have a whole lot of hope going forward. This is just the lot that they've got in their life. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, so they had different priestly divisions, and they'd go up and serve the Lord in Jerusalem and do all the religious duties and the sacrifices and things like that. Well, this was his particular time. Uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. So they had a little bit of a lottery going on. 
to figure out which one of the priests got the high honor of going and actually doing like the, going into the holy place in order to do the, to do all of the offerings in there. It was like the highest honor of any priest anywhere was to do this particular job. Well, he was chosen by lot. They won. They got the little ticket out. Oh my gosh, my numbers came up. And he entered the temp- he, to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now the whole multitude of people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense, right? It's a big crowd of people out there waiting for you. Now here's the deal. If you are a priest and you go closer into the Holy of Holies where the Lord dwells at the Ark of the Covenant, the closer you get, the more serious it is if you make a mistake. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when you're going to perform the worship of the Lord, the person who's performing it needs to be someone who's set apart like a priest, They need to be clean, ceremonially, and they must not do anything wrong in the order of the service. If they did, they would probably die. I mean, the Lord Lord would send an angel and kill them right there. He used to actually tie ropes around the legs of these guys who went in and did the service so that if they did it wrong, and they were in there too long, people would be like, okay, maybe we should start pulling the rope. And they pull him out, yep, he's dead. Send the next, next priest up, you know. The people were praying outside at the hour of incense and there appeared to him, <laughs> like, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Now, if you knew that if you did something wrong, God would probably send an angel to kill you, at this moment, you'd be like, ah, oh, no. And he was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, he was troubled when he saw him and, and fear fell upon him, yeah, I bet. But the angel said to him, okay, first thing, man, don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm not gonna kill you. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? The one not to die? No, actually, these, this couple has one particular issue that they've had all of these years. If they were going to sit down and they were going to pray about a particular thing, just like you, when you sit down and pray and you have a particular thing that's on your heart or your mind, and sometimes that thing has lasted for years and years and years. You have a child who's you know, run away from the Lord. You have a, a health condition. You have you know, what, whatever it is. This couple had one of those issues, one of those burdens, and that was... Lord, give us a baby. Giving us a baby will solve all of the issues. We will no longer be looked down upon by all of our friends. We will be invited into polite company if you would just give us a baby. So Zechariah has been praying this prayer for years and years along with his wife, but now they're old and he's gotten to the point where he's like, well, it's not gonna happen, right? There's a point at which you pray for so long that You just, it's not gonna happen. And all of a sudden, while he's doing this stuff, he comes the angel. Don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Isn't that great news, Zachariah? And you shall call his name John. And you're gonna have joy and gladness. And and many will rejoice at his birth. For for he's gonna be, listen to the language, he'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He must be, in other words, set apart in a holy kind of way. And, and he will be 
filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. Who? Him. Uh, He's going to be the one who precedes the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. This guy is like the opening act for the coming of the king who's going to free Israel. So his presence, your son, is going to be the signal to everyone that the king is on his way. He's actually going to be the one who pronounces this. He will go before him in the spirit and power of, of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's the forerunner. Isn't this great news? Zechariah, Zechariah, your prayer's been answered. And Zechariah said to the angel, oh, thank you. No. He said, um, prove it. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure you got here in time. For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years, which is a very kind way to say the plumbing's not working so good. Okay. You, you had you come here. A number of years prior, this would be working. You've come now, after all of these years and after all of this prayer, and you've come now in my old age, and this is going to work. So his response is a response of doubt. How do I know that? Well, well the way the angel responds, <laughs> you need to prove it. You want to, here's, here's his proof. Well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was there this morning. We had tea and crumpets, and he says, Hi. And I was sent by God to speak to you and to bring you this. Brother, this is good news. You're acting like it's not good news. You're acting like this is actually, you know, I'm I'm setting you up for a fall because for so long you've probably felt that way. And behold, because you doubt the word of the Lord, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my word words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You're going to have to sit on the sidelines, man, and you're going to watch this whole thing. And the whole time, you're going to be wanting to go, this is so great. It is good news because you're going to see it fulfilled. But you're going to be over on the side wanting to, (laughs) you won't be able to talk. And the people were waiting. (laughs) This is great. The people were waiting for Zachariah. Hmm, why has he been in there for so long? Maybe it's time to get the rope. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And he realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. Stewards. Angel. (laughs) And he remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home And after these days, his wife Elizabeth Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, I love her prayer. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me 
to take away my reproach among the people. All right, so in Zechariah's story, here's an angel shows up. An angel gives an announcement of what his son is. He's going to have a son, and that son is going to be a particular important great man. And the response that Zechariah has is, I doubt it. Therefore, he's judged because he does not listen to the words of the Lord through the angel. Okay? All right. Hold that over here. That's the black and white. Bling! Here is the color. Here's a story about Mary. We studied it last week. Uh, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember she hid for five months. So in the sixth month, the angel, wait a minute, who? Gabriel, same guy. He was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So she's engaged to Joseph. She's 13, 14 years old. Joseph is a house of David, very important house, right? The kingly line. But they live, you know, in Nazareth, which is enough. So this is one of those like far off descendants of David who doesn't know it. You know, like you go to ancestry.com. I am the son of the, you know, the president. <laughs> he, he, he might know that that's in his past, but he, you know, it's not something that he's got in his mind every day. The virgin's name uh, was Mary. And he came to her. And he said, greetings, favored one, you 13-year-old girl who nobody knows. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Oh, So he announces something and she's troubled. Sound familiar? At the saying and the trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, right? Same thing that he said to Zechariah. You have found favor with the Lord, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you see the You see the comparison? Gabriel shows up, gives an announcement of a great son to be born. What do you think, Mary? She said to the angel, "Uh, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now here's my question, why isn't, she doesn't get in trouble for this. So why? She asked the question, Zechariah asked the question, Zechariah gets to sit silently and Mary actually is gonna be commended. What's the difference between the questions they ask? Well, the answer is that Mary's question is actually about the mechanics of it. Like, how is this going to work out? It's not that I doubt. I just, I'm interested in how this is going to work out. Whereas Zechariah's question was one of doubt. I don't think it can happen. I know that because of the way the angel responds. The angel answered her, okay, so here's how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, not just you, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month, this is the sixth month 
with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Zechariah is punished because he rejects the word of the Lord, right? You didn't have room for my word, says the angel. You didn't believe my word. Mary is commended because she welcomes the word of the Lord. You guys see the comparison? It's like Luke is trying to yell at you. If you want to know what it means to be a genuine follower of God, a lover of God, at the very beginning of my gospel, let's just lay it out. Be thou Mary. Be be like Mary. Not like Zechariah. When the word of the Lord comes to you, Respond with a willingness to submit to what it is. To the command it's giving, to the promises he's making. The response of a faithful follower of Jesus is, let it be to me as you have said. Not, eh, I don't know. I hope you see that comparison. It's a a really big one, actually, in Luke. Um, Mary welcomed the word of the Lord while Zechariah didn't. True disciple of Jesus is marked by their willingness to welcome the word of the Lord. So let me just give you an illustration of, I think, what what this comparison is after. Uh, When I was in uh, a camp, I was a camp counselor for quite a number of years, and uh, when I was a camp counselor teaching kids Bible studies, one of the things that we, we did in the Bible study was um, I came up with this game where uh, the kids would lead another blindfolded kid through a maze, right? Was, we, we were kind of on a, I remember we, we had it on kind of like, a, like, like a, uh, a patio and there was like a cliff, like here, you know? There, there was like an edge that if you went over there, you could fall off. This is back in the 1980s and so no fences. Yeah, who cares? Right? You're okay, kid. Stairs on one side, you know, so a little bit of danger over there, and I would put cones up. And I said, okay, so here's the obstacle course. Do, 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 do. Here it is around. Okay, so the first kid, you're going to be blindfolded, and uh, here's your partner. Now, the way you're going to get through this, I'm going to time you. The way you're going to get through this is if you're going to, you just have to follow, you have to listen, and you have to follow the, the person. You can't touch them. So you have to just have them follow your voice or you can sit on the side and say left, right, left, right, whatever. I don't care. So they would usually stand in front of the blindfold of the kid. Okay, follow my voice. Okay, we're gonna go around this cone here. Okay, there's another cone here. Oh, there's a... So the first kid, you did it, you know, hey, good job, two minutes. That was excellent. Okay, so that's the mark. Write it down, two minutes. The next kid would come up and they'd wanna beat that time and do the same thing. You know, oh, you got it in one minute and 49 seconds. Great. There was always a kid in the group who, you know, thought, you know what, I'm not actually gonna lead this guy to safety. (laughs) Like, I don't care. There's always a kid who'd be like, you know, follow my voice, follow my voice, follow my voice, follow my voice. No, very safe, just take another step. And you know, you would get the kid to almost fall off the cliff and I'd have to say, okay, stop, you know what, you're horrible. And you're trying to kill this this other guy, right? Because, you know, (laughs) this was so funny. So, 
the kids learned from this. I sat them down afterwards and I, and I, and I said to them, okay, so let's reflect on what this is trying to teach you. Um, what you've got in this situation is you've got a sighted person leading an unsighted person. You have somebody who knows the topography. You have no, somebody who knows the course, can see the course, can clearly indicate which way is safe in the course and get you through it. And you have somebody who's blindfolded who has no idea. And so this blinded, folded person has to place all of their trust in the person who's leading them. Right. But then there's always some jerk guy who comes along and is like, well, I'm going to lead them off the cliff. <laughs> so your success in this game, as in life, is completely dependent on who you trust to lead you. Who you choose to listen to, not just listen to, but to submit to them because you believe that they're good. There are voices coming at you all, over, all the time in, in this world. Go this way, walk this way, do this way. And you have to decide which voices are the ones you believe to be trustworthy. I think that's essentially what Mary is demonstrating. She's saying, look, I believe the Lord to be trustworthy. I can't see the future. I don't know what's going on. But I believe that the Lord has announced to me something good. It's good news. Whereas Zechariah is like, no, it's not good news. Good news would have been having it done according to my plan. Good news would have been, you know, my idea, my commandments, my agenda. And she's like, no, good news is Trusting the person who's leading me. He happens to be the, the Lord. So look, let, let me get as practical as I can about that. Our success as followers of Jesus has everything to do with our willingness to follow the word of the Lord, with our welcome of the word of the Lord. So practically speaking, what am I talking about? Well, here's the thing. Every week you come to church and what you get is you get somebody, I pray that you get somebody standing in front of you and reading and expositing the word of the Lord to you, right? Sometimes the word of the Lord that comes to you is a challenging word. It, it tells you, hey, if you keep acting this way, this is gonna be the result. Sometimes the word of the Lord is telling you what's going to be in the future, and you get to decide whether or not that voice is trustworthy or not. You get to choose in this moment whether you're going to be a Mary or you're going to be a Zechariah. So, uh, for example, Matthew chapter 6. This is the end of uh, the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses done against us. At the end of that, here's what Jesus says. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses. So this word for, this is an explanation. Because you guys are probably a little, what, what do you mean forgive your trespasses when you're reading, you know, thinking about the Lord's Prayer? Okay, well, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So the, the, he's stating what will happen if you go down particular paths. He's coming to you and saying, look, 
I know that you live a life where people wrong you. You also happen to be somebody who wrongs others. Everybody's been wronged. You have a choice about whether or not you're going to remain bitter or you're going to seek revenge. You can, every part of your being is going to be saying, I want to have revenge. In fact, you'll get people in the society say, stand up for yourself. You need to, you need to seek your, your best, not theirs, your best. So you get all of these voices speaking to you, but the voice of the Lord that's leading you on is saying, right, so here's the good and noble path. Here's what's going to genuinely make you happy. I'm telling you the truth, says the Lord. If you forgive others, if you say, basically, Lord, I'm gonna hand this over to you. I do not know what to do with it. Here, it's yours. You take it and you solve it for me. I, I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but you, here, here. Leave it to the wrath of God. That would be the Mary move. The Zechariah move would be, eh, I don't think this is such a great idea. In fact, I think that my own opinion and the, you know, revenge is gonna make me feel way, way better. So what do you wanna do? You wanna be Mary or you wanna be Zechariah? I'll give you another one. Um, say you, you are uh, reading through 1 Corinthians, which we as a church will be doing in the new year, right? We're reading through 1 Corinthians and you get to this particular moment. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that talks about it talks about uh, suing your brothers and sisters. And it basically says, listen, you're gonna judge angels. Don't you have the ability to judge you know, disputes between you? Like you guys are gonna be judging the angels and the whole world. <laughs> Everything less than the whole world and the angels is petty. And you, you don't have the wisdom, the mind of Christ to judge what's petty? Of course you do. Don't hand it over to somebody who doesn't have the mind of Christ, right? Some judge somewhere. I don't care how trained he is. He doesn't have the mind of Christ. He doesn't understand the spirit of God and what he's doing in the world. He doesn't have the values of the kingdom. Why give it to him to make a decision? You guys are the ones who are gonna be judging the world. Well, you take the decision, all right. Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. I mean, don't lie to yourself. Neither... The sexually immoral, the word here is porneia, it's a, it's a catch-all term for all kinds of sexual indiscretion. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexual, homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, these language, this isn't saying, oh, this is somebody who got drunk once. This is somebody who you can slap the, slap the label drunkard on. Who, the pattern of their life is that. Don't be deceived. If you persist in acting the way you're acting, says Paul, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care what you say about your faith commitments or things like you go to church every week. Such were some of you. You guys used to be this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, he's told you a prophecy. He's basically said, look, if you persist in this particular kind of lifestyle in an unrepentant manner, and those words can describe that lifestyle, we can slap it over the top of you and say, this is what's true of you. 
don't deceive yourself. Don't try to convince yourself that you're a Christian. That someday you're gonna stand before God and he's gonna commend you and say, hey, it's great seeing you. No, actually, you are an enemy of God. You will not inherit the kingdom. You're not part of God's family. You've proven it by your unwillingness to submit to his word. Do you see? True Christians are those who are defined like Mary as the ones who say, let it be to me as you have said. That was the first point. <laughs> there's four more. No, there's only one. There's only one. It's short. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it all. Okay? So there's something about Mary. There's something about God. So I want to look at, okay, so that's the, that, that led up to the song. That's what's going on behind the scenes. How Mary got here. She was chosen by the Lord to bear the child. And Mary said, in response to all of this, okay, I'm going to sit down. She's going to write a song. My soul glorifies, this is the word, magnifies. Magnificat, the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Can I pause the sermon right now? Pause. Let's go over here for just a second, okay? For those of you who have a background in Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, which is very popular around here, here's one of the things I need you to know. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was immaculately conceived, therefore she was sinless, all right? That is not a biblical position. The reason for that and one of the proofs of that is the fact that this woman ends up saying she rejoices in God, my Savior. You don't you don't need a savior if you are not a sinner. So you, ju you just need to know that she, like all others, was a sinner, remarkable woman, right? Be like Mary, amazing woman. Also a sinner saved by grace, right? Okay, so play this sermon. We're back. <laughs> my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, right? So this word, for, she's describing why she gives, magnifies the Lord. For, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So all generations are gonna rise up and say, Mary's fantastic. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You know the proud in their inmost thoughts. I'm better than you, and here's why. Prettier, I'm nicer, I smell better, I play basketball better, blah, 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 blah. The proud, the ones who hold themselves in position over everybody else and think that they're better because, which many, many do. In other words, he's saying, those people, she said, you've scattered them. They've run like a fleeing army, like the ants when you'd step your foot down. Woo! They go everywhere. You scattered them in there and, and you've brought or he has brought down rulers. Who? Rulers. He's brought them down from their thrones, but he has lifted up. Who? The humble He's filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. See, the guts of her, the guts of her, 
song, if I just say, you, you, we were sitting in the car and we were listening to it and you said, what's that song about? I'd say, it's about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That in God's economy, it is not the people who are with it, who have all of the beauty and power and majesty, they're not the ones who God delights in. God delights in the poor, the hungry, the weak. You you just need to think about this for a minute, right? Mary's praying, "I, I glorify the Lord because he graces and blesses the humble, not the proud. Just think about the incarnation, okay, the, the Christmas, we're celebrating Christmas. Just think about the Christmas story in general. God's up there in heaven, he can do anything he wants. He can actually have his baby Jesus be born in some massive temple somewhere. He can have baby Jesus be born to the Caesar of the day. Man, if, I, look, if I'm the Lord, I'm like, well, we kind of need to make sure it's a bigger deal than, you know, just, what well, you know, just nothing. Do you guys remember when Prince... I didn't remember the little guy's name, but some of you are royal watchers. Remember when he was born? It was like this big party. Oh, Prince William and Kate had their baby. and Fireworks everywhere. Put it on the news. He was born. Here's a picture of him. That's That's the way I probably would do it. But is that the way that God did it? Well, let's see. Um... Mary and Joseph were teenagers, probably moral outcasts because, you know, she got pregnant before she was married, which means that she had sexual relations before she was married and then told Joseph, hey, it was because of an angel and Joseph believed it, so he's stupid, she's dirty, we're not gonna hang out with them. That's the way it worked in those days. We're gonna put a scarlet letter around their neck and we're not gonna hang out with them at all. Zechariah and Elizabeth, other part of the story, yeah, he's a priest and she's the child of, she's a Levite child, but you know, they're barren, so not like the most important people in your neighborhood. Probably the people in your neighborhood, you tell your kids, don't go to their house because God is judging them. Shepherds, we're gonna announce this. Just imagine in heaven, God before the heavenly court. All right, we gotta send out the the announcement cards of the baby. We're gonna put a little sign next to him in, the, in, in those weird like 1970s stick on letters, you know, eight pounds, born whatever. Send out the little card. Where are we gonna send it? Where are we gonna announce this thing? I know, let's go and talk to the smelly shepherds in the field. They're, they're all alone up there. It's like three of them. Some guys up in uh, northern British Columbia who used to be called, uh, were they called tree planters. Tree planters in northern British, British Columbia, they go along and they, they, you know, they shovel a little piece, they dump the tree in and they do it and they, you get paid for how many trees you do. They can do thousands of trees in a summer. It's a pretty lucrative job. The problem is you're up there all alone and in the evening you get together with two or three other people and there's nobody around. Like northern British Columbia is, I mean, it's not, it's not nowhere, but you can see it from there. So they're up there all alone. It's like the Lord said, you know what we should do? Let's announce it up there to the tree planters. All by themselves. Palestine, it's like the edge of the Roman world. The most unimportant, least valuable part of property. They, they were not that troubled. The Romans, it had somebody come in and taken Palestine, they'd been like, eh, I don't know. It's like an appendix. Enjoy. Bethlehem, 
little tiny town out of the way, not just in Bethlehem, but they go to an inn, which is basically a truck stop, right? Hey, let's go to Casey's and hang out. That, that's where they are. Uh, but we don't have a place for you here in Casey's. There's no showers available. So they say, well, where's the nearest thing? Oh, there's a cave slash barn. There's a bunch of animals in it. And when she gives birth to this child and they take the baby, they're like, I don't really know where to put it. And so they place the child in the same thing that the animals feed. So they're looking at the child going, is this our new meal or what? Behold your king. All the earth. Majestic. <laughs> what? Really? A few years ago, I was in the Piggly, the original Piggly Wiggly in Greenville, Alabama. You guys know what Piggly Wiggly is? It's a grocery store. The original one in, P in Greenville, Alabama. You know where Greenville, Alabama is? No. No. We walked through the, the checkout, and the girl behind there said, I said, well, she said, where are you from? And I said, oh, we, at that time, we were from British Columbia, Canada. She just stared at us for a minute and said, why are you here in Greenville, Alabama? And I said, there's a Piggly Wiggly. And she's like, so? <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here as fast as I can. She said, right, that's, that's, that's right. That's Bethlehem. Jesus, King of, King of Kings, born in Greenville. Why isn't it bigger? Why not grander? Why not more important? Why not greater? It's like the whole thing. It's like God is just yelling through the whole thing. I care about the weak and the nobodies. You care about the strong somebodies. To be in my kingdom means that you take on my values, not yours. Look, there are implications to this, and I want to finish with them uh, here. God graces and blesses the humble, not the proud. Two implications. Number one, uh, that means that humility is required for entrance into God's kingdom. Yes? Like, it's the credential that gets you into all this stuff. Uh, when my son and I, we went actually, one time we had an opportunity to travel with some friends to Fenway Park in Boston. My friend's son actually got to throw out the first pitch at the game. So when we showed up there, we, we just thought we were gonna stand there and they were gonna call us out of the stands and come down and throw the pitch and go back up. Actually, no, they gave us these little credentials and you could go anywhere with these credentials. Lines of people trying to get into local th things and I'd walk up and expect the, you know, the bouncer to kick me out and I would show the credential and he'd be like, no, welcome here, it's good to see you. You know, now they don't talk like that in Boston, right? So come on in. Guys, I walked onto the field past the guy who was guarding it, and he, he looked at me kind of weird, like, what are you doing? I said, credential? And he's like, yep, come on in. I walked onto the field. I went over and sat down in the dugout, right? Dustin Pedroia is right over there. How's it going? You know, and I said, hey, how's it going? And he just nodded, right? And I was like, well, that's about as much as I'm gonna get from Dustin probably today. But I'm sitting in his dumb dugout. And when he's looking at me, I'm like, credential? And he's like, yeah, that's fine, you know? I go onto the field. They have... They have my son, me, the guy who threw out the first pitch, and his dad. We have a picture taken where we're standing between the mound and home plate, and it says Fenway Park behind us, and everybody in the stands is like booing, because why do you get to be down there? And I'm like, credential. And the credential. <laughs> got to watch the game from the Green Monster, have all the hot dogs, want to get a hot dog? Credential? Here's five, you know? <laughs> Credentials. 
That's the way the world works. You need a credential to get in to all the important places. What is usually a credential? Well, I'm LeBron James. What's your credential? I'm famous, I'm important, I'm rich, I'm powerful. You wanna do me the favor so that I can then you do you the favor. It's just this really great, great quid pro quo. Important people get treated importantly and people who are not important stand in line. And yet in the kingdom, the credential that gets you in is humility. It's failure. It's weakness. It's inability. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because I suck. <laughs> I, I need the Lord Jesus desperately. Have you guys ever noticed in the scriptures how many times there are biblical warnings about wealth? You, you should know this. There are warnings against wealth. Well, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's a very dangerous thing. It's dangerous because rich people don't like to bow. They don't like to humble themselves before things. And people who are not willing to humble themselves and say, I have a need, are people who will not be given the kingdom. So look, if you want to be part of God's family and receive all the blessings eternally, there is one qualification, and it is your failure and your willingness to admit that failure. All you need to do to be saved is say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I said there were two implications. Humility is required for entrance into God's kingdom. And second, man, that means that we should probably glory in our weakness and not our strength, right? Like if that's the thing that God values over all other things, why would we not glory then in weakness instead of our... So you guys go to, the, to a job interview and they, you know, you go in there and say, so what are your weaknesses? Well, I work too hard. Um, what, are, what other weaknesses you have? I'm too committed to the company, right? I don't like to be paid very much, you know, like, all of the, you're supposed to go in there and they teach you, just turn your strengths and make them sound like weaknesses so they're actually strengths. You're supposed to present yourself with strength. When you come to church, you have to look the right way. You have to smell the right way. You have to drive the right way. You have to have all of it put together because you know, God likes to put together people. Does he? Does he? It seems to me that he likes the, the weak and not the strong, the poor and not the rich, the, the needy, not the ones who've got it all sorted out. And yet in the church, we seem like we're, we're adopting all of the agenda of the wider society when God's screaming at us, no, 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 own your failure. Because when you are weak, you are strong. The Apostle Paul, he wrote, I'm, I'm almost done. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, this is probably one of the most important passages in my life these days. Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. This being a thing he called the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. It might have been bad eyesight. It might have been. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'm gonna boast. I'm going to brag more gladly of my weaknesses. Hey, you wanna know what's cool about me? I can't see well. <laughs> I will, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. See, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
I'm strong. Listen, I've, I've shared this before with some of you. I, I have a condition called recurrent major depressive disorder, and I hate it. I hate it. Most nights I go home and uh, I cry. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just sit there and I cry. I have panic attacks in the most inconvenient places, in front of colleagues or people at the church. I've been in meetings here, started to have a panic attack, have to run out. He doesn't, he's not up to this. <laughs> you think? No, I'm not. I'll be the first one to say this. I think it's crazy that the Lord actually called me to be a pastor of a local church. I think it's crazier the Lord asked me to be a pastor of mega churches. He's crazy. Like, that's just dumb. I'm the last person in the world who you should actually ask to do that kind of thing. I'm a complete mess inside. I've got all sorts of difficulties. But listen, listen. You say, why are you saying this? Because I'm bragging. Why would you brag about that? Uh... I boast all the more in my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, I'm actually strong. Can you imagine a day where the church of Jesus Christ is actually known for bragging about how bad we are instead of bragging about how we've got it all sorted out? I think that is the day where we will have embraced the kingdom values that we so desperately need. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. Let me pray. Father, thankful for my friends. I'm thankful, Father, for uh, the truth that you choose the weak things of the world to shame the wise, things that are not to shame the things that are. So may Jesus get all the glory May you be made much of for your ability to do the work that you do through such feeble instruments. But God, help us not walk around like we're feeble. We, we are the children of the living God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. So give us a bold humility, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.